0: Do you feel that
1: you're losing the battle with looking and feeling your best? Stop! Welcome to Body Balance Talk with your host, Jeannie Schmidt, along with Lucy and Madeline. Your body has an outstanding ability to heal itself and stay healthy. It's up to you to get the process started. Now, here's the show.
2: Welcome to Body Balance Talk. This is Lucy Hewitt, nutritional therapist. And I'm Jeannie Schmidt-PharmD. And welcome to our
3: show today. Our topic is on the role of magnesium with cholesterol and heart disease. And really, it's, a, it's about the role that magnesium plays with cholesterol and with heart disease. And we'll touch a little bit on high blood pressure as well. Now, on our last show, we talked at length about the role of magnesium in stress, anxiety, and depression. And we also talked about how to supplement with magnesium. And we'll talk a little bit about the supplementation again today. Now, we discussed magnesium sulfate baths, magnesium gel, and oral supplements. And we also talked about why we're magnesium deficient in the first place. If you missed that show, you may want to go back and listen. And now, I, can, love-
2: I was going to just say you can find those replays on our website.
3: Yeah, and our website is mybodybalancenutrition.com and you click on radio show and you'll see all kinds of different tabs that you can click on there all the way back from September. And so what we recommend is just choose one of those. Um, if you haven't listened to the one last week, go to that one first, but choose one of those and just get your computer, your phone, turn that thing on and you can listen while you're doing some healthy cooking. How about that for a plan for everybody? Now we would love to hear from you today and we're taking callers. Get out your pen. This is the number. It's 1-866-472- 5792. And call us with any questions or comments that you have about magnesium. And we want to know do you already take magnesium? Have you used the magnesium gel or the oil? Or do you take Epsom salts baths? Call and share your experiences with us. And again, the number is 1 866 472 5792. And our sponsor of our show today is A Major Difference. They've got a great website. Write this one down too, amajordifference.com. A major difference, the company makes the Ion Cleanse machine for detoxification and it's one of the only FDA approved devices for this purpose and my husband David and I, we have been using the Ion Cleanse from a major difference for way over 10 years and we also use it here in the studio with, the, with variable, various clients and this is an extremely reputable company with outstanding research and customer care. And anytime you can call and talk to Neil, the owner, call and talk to him anytime about how the machine works, um, if it's effective, and any other questions that you have. But really, their website is a wealth of information. And they also put on educational conferences on detoxification. And they're really simple because they're usually webinars. And so you can just do it from the convenience of your home or your office. For anybody looking for more information, and I would suggest that would be everybody, go to their website at amajordifference.com. And if you need more, just call them up. Okay, so our topic is magnesium again today. And as we get talking about this, it might sound like we're actually not talking about magnesium, but we'll circle around to how magnesium is involved. And so it's just a really quick review that we learned last week. Magnesium is involved in over 300 different reactions in your body. And why I like to bring that up is because magnesium is touted as helping so many different health causes. And sometimes it just really sounds like it's uh, some sort of magic cure. And it's not that it's a magic cure. It's just because magnesium is involved in so many reactions of your body so that when your magnesium is off, it's going to affect many, many, many different aspects of your health. And when you improve it, those you're going to get a lot of health improvement from it. Now, in this case, we're going to discuss the role that magnesium plays in cholesterol. So let's start with that one. Most of you, I'm guessing, are aware of the different terms concerning cholesterol, like LDL, HDL, total cholesterol. And I'm going to bet that you've been told that LDL is the bad cholesterol and that HDL is the good cholesterol. And you probably have been told or you think that we all want to over, we all want to lower our overall total cholesterol. Now, am I correct? Is that what you're thinking? Mm-hmm. You might be going, uh-huh, yep, that's that's right. I've read that in magazine articles, and maybe my doctors told me that. Because you get your labs done, and you're told, well, that bad cholesterol, that's the LDL. You really want to lower that one. And in fact, none of these substances are bad. So think of it this way. LDL and HDL, first off, they're not cholesterol at all. They're carriers of cholesterol, LDL carries your cholesterol to your cells and HDL carries the cholesterol away from the cells to be excreted by your body. So, you tell me which one of those wouldn't you want. So, we have LDL that's been termed the bad cholesterol, but if it's it why would your body make that? That wouldn't make any sort of sense if your body is making some sort of substance that's bad. And If we look at the whole molecule of cholesterol itself, cholesterol is responsible for making hormones such as DHEA. And DHEA is something that turns into estrogen and testosterone and various other hormones. And DHEA is a hormone that's responsible for uh, giving you energy and helping you to keep muscle on your body. And if you're somebody who's trying to build muscle, which hopefully we all are trying to do that, DHEA is critical to help you to build muscle. And DHEA comes from cholesterol. Estrogens come from cholesterol, so does testosterone. And you have this great hormone in your kidney called aldosterone. And that is responsible for altering the balance of your electrolytes in your body. And then cortisol is another hormone. And so is progesterone. All of those hormones come from cholesterol. And another one, vitamin D, even though it's called a vitamin, really, if you look at the chemical structure of it um, and the action of it when it's in high levels of your body, it behaves as a hormone. And cholesterol is also responsible for helping your body to turn the sunshine when it hits your skin, to turn that sunshine into vitamin D. Every single cell in your body uses cholesterol. And in fact, your brain, one-fifth of your brain weight is cholesterol. So say you could take your brain out and you put it on a little scale. A fifth of that weight is cholesterol. On this note, cholesterol is so important for a good functioning brain. So just think about all the cholesterol in your body. And 25% of all of your cholesterol is actually found in your brain. Now, in a recent study... Researchers showed that in the elderly, those people who had the highest level of cholesterol had the best memory function. In fact, low cholesterol is associated with an increased risk for depression and even death. Cholesterol is actually a critical part of your body's functioning building materials and is absolutely essential for optimal health. So hearing this, we might wonder about the effects of taking medication to lower cholesterol to very low levels, knowing that the ranges for acceptable cholesterol have decreased, putting more people on medication, and therefore lowering cholesterol to maybe not very healthy levels. So what's the deal with cholesterol then? Is it good for us? And if the answer is yes, why do we try so hard to make it go away? Well, we can see a few different issues here. First, it's important to understand that it's oxidized cholesterol that causes the trouble. The cholesterol that you find in arterial plaque is not just any cholesterol, like the cholesterol maybe that you would eat if if you were eating eggs. But this type of cholesterol that's in arterial plaque is oxidized and it's damaged cholesterol. And there's actually a study where they fed animals plenty of cholesterol in their diet, and they did just fine. But when they gave them even small amounts of tainted cholesterol, and that means oxidized cholesterol, within weeks it showed up in fatty streaks in their arteries. And we know why now. It's because they're receptors in the cells that line your arteries. So just visualize your arteries for a moment, kind of like tubes or hoses and that you have cells that line your arteries and in those cells that the cells have receptors and there are receptors for oxidized cholesterol it picks up the oxidized cholesterol and it goes right into the cells of the arterial wall so what we can see is that if you have oxidized cholesterol those receptors on your cells inside your arteries pick that right up and it goes right into those cells of your artery and the problem here, this is, I think this is very interesting. And I think you will too. The problem is that oxidized cholesterol does not look normal to your immune cells. So just picture this. You've got that oxidized cholesterol that your insides of your arteries, those cells just took up. And then you have immune cells that are floating around through your blood. So they're floating on by and they take a look at this oxidized cholesterol and they say, that doesn't look right to me. This something looks odd. And guess what it looks like? That oxidized cholesterol looks like bacteria to your immune cells. And so then the immune cells say, well, if that's bacteria, we better get to work right here. And they move in and they try and clean up what it thinks is bacteria. But really, it's nothing more than oxidized cholesterol. And this process of your immune cells trying to clean up this oxidized cholesterol creates a whole bunch of inflammation inside your arterial wall. <laughs> now, how did this oxidized cholesterol get there in the first place? Well, for you and me, we get oxidized cholesterol any time that we eat vegetable oils. And that would be oils like corn oil, soybean oil, even canola oil. And then sometimes, depending on the qualities of these oils, it could be the safflower and sunflower oils. And in fact, these oils are already rancid. And rancid oil is simply oxidized oil, and it should not be consumed by us. Instead of vegetable oils, we recommend people use the more stable oils, such as olive oil, organic coconut oil, palm oil, and butter, even cocoa butter, which remains stable, and the, those oils do not oxidize at higher temperatures. Another reason for avoiding vegetable cooking oils is that the majority of them, at least in the U.S., are made from genetically engineered crops. So we've talked about genetically engineered foods in the past, and so here it's popping up again. And not only are they genetically engineered, but they're heavily processed on top of that. So not only do you have the issue of the polyunsaturated fats being oxidized, or becoming rancid, you also have these other toxic variables such as the glyphosate and the Bt toxin found in the genetically engineered corn and soy. Glyphosate is the active ingredient in the herbicide Roundup, which is used in very, very large amounts on all corn and soy, most corn and soy in the U.S., So we can see there's a variety of reasons to avoid vegetable oils, but the fact that they're oxidized is a high-priority reason. Now, besides using these oils in cooking, you would also get oxidized fats in processed foods such as chips, frozen dinners, school lunches, vending machine foods. And you'll also find oxidized fats in fast food and fried foods. Now, this is a little bit of a surprise maybe for some people, but it's actually easy to find these oxidized fats in better restaurants that are of even a higher quality. And it all depends really on what type of fats they're using in their cooking. If they're using vegetable oils and you're getting oxidized fats, so you might think about asking how they're cooking the food next time you're in a good restaurant. The cholesterol that your body makes and the cholesterol that you get in foods such as egg yolks is not oxidized cholesterol. You need the cholesterol that your body makes. And your dietary cholesterol is to make hormones, vitamin D, help your cell membranes maintain the right fluidity and stability. And this cholesterol helps you think straight and it helps your brain and your nerves But the oxidized cholesterol is inflammatory and it leads to arterial inflammation. And really, inflammation throughout your body, not just in your arteries. Now, as a side note, we all want to remember that it's also excess blood sugar and excess blood insulin that play a large part in inflaming the arterial wall as well. So here's the deal. Anyone out there who is interested in reducing or preventing arterial inflammation and plaque should put pretty much great effort into eliminating sugar consumption and seriously reducing carb intake. Plan to get your carbs from non-starchy vegetables such as asparagus, brussels sprouts, green beans, all the goodies. And the next step though is to stop consuming any damaged fats in the form of vegetable oils. Just those diet changes should make a huge difference in reducing your oxidized cholesterol and reducing your risk for cardiovascular problems. So hopefully, you're understanding the difference here between oxidized cholesterol and the cholesterol that your body makes. Now, when and how did cholesterol become such a bad guy, the demon, something that we should avoid at all costs? Well... Way back in 1913, that's, that's about 100 years ago, two Russian researchers fed lots of cholesterol to a group of rabbits. And when they looked at their arteries, they saw a large quantity of this yellow substance clogging the rabbit's arteries. And so they determined that cholesterol <coughs> was the cause for, for causing coronary heart disease. <coughs> Now, there are other reasons cholesterol has gotten a bad rap, one of them being the development of the trans fats in the 1940s or so. Trans fats, as you know, are found in margarine, Crisco, and most processed foods. And once researchers discovered that trans fats were unhealthy, which was as early as 1948, the food industry wanted desperately to hide this fact And packaged foods that could be transported across the country and stored on grocery shelves would be a big business. So that grocery and food industry did not want it to get out that trans fats were unhealthy. And think back, this was in 1948. Health researchers already knew that trans fats were not healthy for us. And so what the grocery and the food industry did was create these large media campaigns that indicated that it was not the Crisco or vegetable oils or packaged foods that caused the health problems, but in fact it was the saturated fat that we find in eggs, meat, and dairy, and that we should all start cutting our consumption of those animal products. And so fats from animal foods has been touted as artery-clogging, heart disease-promoting, for the last 40 or more years. And in that time, we as a country have skyrocketed with heart disease, cancer, And diabetes.
2: You know, it looks like it's time for a break. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion. Remember, we're taking callers and we want to hear your questions and comments about magnesium or anything else on this topic. We'll be back soon.
1: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
4: Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. The show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network
0: Navigating the Cancer Maze with host Grace Gahler. We'll help you with the facts, planning, and grief experienced with different forms and stages of cancer. Listen every Friday at 12 noon U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel.
1: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Body Balance Talk. To reach us with your questions and comments, please call into the program today at one 472 5792 That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send an email to info at mybodybalancenutrition.com. Now back to the show.
2: Welcome back to Body Balance Talk. This is Lucy and Jeannie. Madeline's not here today. Now, before the break, we were talking about cholesterol. Jeannie, let's get back to that study with the rabbits and the cholesterol. Absolutely.
3: In terms of those rabbits, because you might think, well, doesn't that, they gave these rabbits this cholesterol and then they found all this icky yellow stuff in the arteries. So, doesn't that just prove that cholesterol causes heart disease? Well, in fact, in 1969, Scientists got that study out and looked at the methods that they used in it. And indeed, they found that these Russian researchers used, listen to this, pure crystalline cholesterol dissolved into vegetable oil. And that, so, so they didn't use cholesterol from eggs or from meat or from some sort of natural foods. This was pure crystalline cholesterol dissolved into vegetable oil. And it was that substance that produced the buildup of the yellow substance in the arterial walls and this chris this crystalline cholesterol is actually rancid and it's there's a term for it. It's called oxycholesterol. That just means that oxygen has been added onto it. And rancid or oxygenated or oxy, all that means is that it carries these free radicals and it's highly reactive. And um that's how it creates these bad bad effects into your body. And you never find oxycholesterol in fresh, unrancid foods or oils. So that study was pretty bogus in terms of trying to prove that eating cholesterol causes heart disease. And it, I, don't you think it's interesting that these scientists found this out in 1969? But still, for the last, whatever, 50 or 40 years, we've this information really never got out yeah. to any of us. And so we can see we've really been given the wrong story about cholesterol. And instead, we've been told to eat margarine and vegetable oils, eat low fat, and avoid saturated fats found in meat, eggs, and dairy. But we're so happy to see that this information really now is getting out to the public in popular magazines and in the media. And as we've learned in previous radio shows, it's critical that you choose meat and eggs, not from factory farms. You want your food free from antibiotics, hormones, pesticides, and pathogenic bacteria and free from GMO, corn, and soy as well. Factory-farm meat does lead to health problems, and so educate yourself on it and get the right stuff for you and your family. Now, speaking of high cholesterol and heart disease, we see that a huge percentage of people are taking statin medications to reduce cholesterol and if you're unfamiliar with these medications statin medications are a class of drugs and they act by inhibiting a special enzyme and that enzyme is called HMG coenzyme reductase and this enzyme it's responsible for making cholesterol in your liver and so when you take the statin medications it blocks this enzyme so that your liver cannot make the cholesterol and this sounds very reasonable except for the fact that HMG coenzyme reductase is also responsible for a variety of other reactions in your body. And one of the most important reactions it's responsible for is to make another enzyme called coenzyme Q10 or CoQ10. And CoQ10, something your body makes, that's important because it assists your mitochondria in making ATP or energy. Now, this is energy that you just feel as energy. It's kind of like when you say, oh, I feel so great with my energy. Or you go, oh, I'm low on energy. So you actually can feel it. It's also energy that your cells need just to carry out all their processes to keep you alive and healthy. So sometimes you feel that energy boost or that energy drain. But there's also all this energy that's just needed to keep your body going. Something that you might not notice on a minute-by-minute basis. But when when you take the statins, though, that's blocking your production of the coenzyme Q10. And so you end up with this lowered energy in your body. It's lowered cellular energy. And that's what's responsible for so many of the side effects of the statin medications. And when the energy of your muscle cells become compromised, then that person could experience damage to their muscles or even leading to muscle cell destruction. That would be muscle cells. When nerve cells are compromised in terms of lowered energy, that would be, that would be lowered energy means that they're not making the ATP and the mitochondria are either damaged or you have fewer mitochondria in the cell. So your cell's not making energy. When that happens with nerve cells, then a person can experience damage to their nerves and that might play out as memory decline or difficulty thinking. And in the same category is something called global amnesia. And global amnesia is when a person loses their very short-term memory. And it seems like this would be something really rare, but I've actually experienced it with two people. And one of them was my father. He's he's a pilot and he was flying a small plane and my mother was along. So it's just one of those little planes and this is a four-seater plane. They just had two people in it at the time and he was flying quite often and they were going somewhere. And it became really clear pretty quickly to my mother that dad was having a problem. He was flying the plane perfectly fine, but every six seconds or so he said, March, where are we going? And then she would say, Well, Lenny, we're going wherever the place was. And then he would say, March, where are we going? And then she, and so after a few times of this, she could see something was seriously wrong. So she asked him to call the nearest airport and land immediately. So he'd get on the radio. But when the air traffic guy answered, my dad forgot why he called. And then, so then he did it again and he did it again. He did it three and, and my, my mom kept saying, Lenny, pick up that thing and get them to have you land. And so they went through this procedure three times until my mom finally said, you know, give me that radio. So she took over on the radio and got the air traffic guy on and she told him what was happening. She, she really didn't understand. She just explained, you know, he keeps asking me where we're going And luckily, the air traffic controllers are familiar with global amnesia and statins, and they're familiar with how to handle it with pilots. So I think that's interesting because that would tell you that this is not something that's rare. So what happened is um, once they had the air traffic controller understand what was happening, um, mom gave dad back the radio, and the air traffic guy guided him step-by-step to land the plane. So I think it's kind of interesting. His his long-term memory was there, so he knew how to fly the plane. He just couldn't remember why he was landing it. And so so the air traffic guy, he had to just keep repeating over and over until they landed safely. Every six seconds, his memory had to be recycled. And as they were coming down in the plane, my mom and dad... Um, the runway was filled with these emergency vehicles, you know, lights flashing everywhere. And my dad looks at it and he says to my mom, wow, you know, look at that. There must be something wrong at the airport. Maybe they've had a fire. Something's wrong. And he had no idea that they were all there actually for him. And he landed the plane perfectly fine and, you know, came over by him. And they were wondering why are all these people coming towards me? And and they checked him out. They brought him to the hospital and he stayed a day or so in the hospital Um, And and then his memory started to return, his very, very short-term memory. But what's so amazing, he has no memory whatsoever of that flight. And he was on statins. And lucky for him, the doctors at the hospital and the air traffic people were familiar with global amnesia and statins and knew how to handle it. And needless to say, he is not on statins anymore. And the other woman that experienced this, she was here at the studio taking an exercise class, and in fact, it was a bars class, and s- suddenly she was acting oddly, and she, she wasn't sure where she was, and she didn't know who the instructor was and what she was doing there, and so she came out of the class, and a few of the staff were talking to her, and um, people here in the studio were not familiar with global amnesia and so called her husband her husband came and she went into the ER and she was also on statins and she is still taking them the doctors in the ER where she went did not recognize global amnesia and in talking to her in the later on she thought that her memory loss was because of the exercise class so um, that's her story but I find it interesting that I out of people that I know I've, I've already seen two people with us and it's so important to know that your brain needs cholesterol and your brain and the rest of your body need your mitochondria in order to produce the ATP which gives you that cellular energy to think clearly and many reviews of the literature have been done to try and determine the side effect rate of statins and most so when you do a medical review of the literature, you take all the studies that are done and then you put them together and then it's called like a, a review of studies. And so when they do that, um, these reviews state that the side effects of statins have really been generally quite low. And so if, if maybe you ask your doctor or you're reading something, you might say, oh, yes, uh, side effects of statins are actually indicated to be quite low, But it's important to know that most side effects are not reported. And I happen to know that neither of these people who had the global amnesia, they didn't report their experience and they didn't have their doctors report them either. And if you had a side effect, would you report it to the FDA? And so what's so important here is that even if somebody does not experience problems with muscle or maybe you don't have global amnesia, But in 100% of people that are taking statins, your cellular energy will be compromised and decreased simply because that is the mechanism of action of the drug. It's how the drug works. So whether you notice it or not, your mitochondria are being reduced and they're being damaged. Now, there's another issue here. I've heard physicians say that they like to prescribe statins because of the anti-inflammatory effect. And drug companies have done a good job with doing studies that show that statins reduce this blood marker called CRP, which is C-reactive protein. And CRP is elevated if you have inflammation. And this is something you can measure on a blood test. And maybe a lot of you have had this measured in the past. But you need to know that CRP is a marker of inflammatory compounds called cytokines and interleukins. And it's the cytokines and interleukins that actually cause the inflammation. And CRP, it's something you can easily measure in the blood, but you gotta know that it's a marker of cytokines and interleukins. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that it, it is the inflammation. It means that it's a marker. So what's true is that the statins and the studies have been shown to reduce C-reactive protein or CRP. But if you look further, and some people have studied this and looked further, and of course these are not popular studies, they found that actually the cytokines and the interleukins are not reduced. Interesting. So this means that statins really do not reduce inflammation. They just reduce the marker, This is so true of most all medications. They reduce markers. So the problem looks like it's gone, but the problem is still there. You just have a normal marker now. So it's like treating numbers instead of actually treating what the underlying problem is. So I bet you're wondering, what does any of this have to do with magnesium? Well, guess what? Magnesium acts as a natural statin. Remember, I mentioned that statins work by blocking that enzyme called HMG, coenzyme reductase. Well, magnesium regulates that exact same enzyme. And if you think about it, that would mean that magnesium would cause all the same side effects as statins because it blocks the same enzyme. But guess what? That's not what happens. Instead of blocking that enzyme, it regulates the enzyme. That's a big difference. And here's how the magnesium works to regulate your cholesterol. And the key word here is regulate. Statin medications turn the enzyme off completely. But with magnesium, when you have sufficient cholesterol in your body, magnesium is responsible for turning down the HMG coenzyme reductase Enzyme, So it turns it down. It's like it's monitoring. And when your body has enough cholesterol, magnesium comes to the rescue and it says, let's just turn this enzyme down in the liver. And then if you need more cholesterol, it's going to not, not turn that enzyme down anymore so that your body can make cholesterol. So we can see that magnesium is your body's way to control cholesterol when it reaches a certain level. Now, if you have magnesium in sufficient levels in your body, cholesterol will be directed to its necessary functions to produce your hormones, including vitamin D, and to maintain your cell membranes. But this is not the end of the story with magnesium. Magnesium also helps to keep LDL in check, and it also helps to lower your triglycerides. It also helps to elevate your HDL. Now, For just a moment here, let's go back to that idea of oxidized cholesterol causing problems. Just to review, non-oxidized cholesterol in your body is not harmful. It's oxidized or rancid free radical cholesterol that causes all the trouble. So there's a way that your body can actually oxidize cholesterol. And it was found in about 1969 that people with heart disease had this elevated amino acid called homocysteine. I bet a lot of you have heard of homocysteine and maybe even had your blood levels done. Your body actually makes homocysteine as a byproduct of protein digestion. So if you eat protein, then there's going to be homocysteine made as a byproduct. And so at first, it was assumed that then maybe people just shouldn't eat so much protein. But in looking further, it was found that protein digestion is actually dependent on magnesium and B vitamins, specifically vitamins B6 and B12. And if a person is lacking in any of those, their bodies are not able to properly digest protein, and then homocysteine levels rise. Mm -hmm. A healthy homocysteine blood level would be below 12 micromoles per liter. Greater than 12 is considered high. And it's interesting to note that when homocysteine levels inside the cell are high, magnesium levels are low. Now this is a big problem because between 20 and 40% of the population has high homocysteine levels. These people have four times the risk of heart attack compared with people with lower levels. And high homocysteine, it's high on the list of risk factors for heart disease and it's a much stronger marker than cholesterol for both heart disease and blood clotting disorders such as stroke. Now this might seem really important, but guess what? The even more relevant marker is low magnesium and why would that be? All the major enzymes involved in homocysteine metabolism are magnesium dependent. So we return to the fact that when magnesium, vitamin B12 and vitamin B6 are deficient, your body cannot digest proteins effectively. This leads to elevated homocysteine and elevated risk for heart attack and stroke. Now, I'm thinking that most healthcare practitioners know that people should take B vitamins for elevated homocysteine, but it seems, though, that magnesium is often left out of this crucial picture. Elevated homocysteine is actually a marker for all-cause mortality, which reiterates that a deficiency in essential nutrients has a far-reaching effect on your body, far beyond only heart disease. Now, I'm wondering, of the people who are listening today, has anybody heard of the class of medications called calcium channel blockers? Some examples would be verapamil, amlodipine, or diltiazem. Those would be the generic names, and there's a bunch of brand names for those as well. And calcium channel blockers are prescribed most commonly for high blood pressure, but they're also used for other cardiac issues as well. And Calcium channel blockers work by blocking calcium channels in the cell membrane. and Calcium is necessary in our bodies and it plays a number of roles for us. And one big role it plays is it helps us to contract our cells. So it's easy for us to imagine our muscle cells contracting. Well, calcium plays that role right here. Now think of your arteries. They also contract and they use... They use calcium to help that happen. And blocking the calcium from getting it into a cell can help it to relax. And that's one way it helps people with high blood pressure. But guess what? Magnesium is actually your built-in calcium channel blocker. When you need relaxation of muscle cells, arterial wall cells, or any other cells, magnesium helps those cells to relax by blocking the calcium channels. And this is why when you take Epsom salts baths, you get relaxation of your sore tight muscles. The magnesium is blocking the calcium channels and helping the muscles to relax.
2: Oh, you know, genie, it's time for another break. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion we're taking callers one 472 5792
1: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
4: How is your health?
1: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Body Balance Talk. To reach us with your questions and comments, please call into the program today at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792 or send an email to info at nutrition.com. Now, back to the show.
2: Welcome back to Body Balance Talk. Today, we're here with Lucy, me, and Jeannie. Um, We're going to continue our discussion on magnesium. Yeah, and we were talking about that magnesium
3: is your natural calcium channel blocker, and that... When you need relaxation of anything in your body, the first thing you want to be thinking about is magnesium. So think about any symptoms that you would have that would relate to muscle tension or even emotional tension. And this could really be literally, um, oh, I don't know, 50 or 70 or 100 things that maybe we could come up with if we sat and made a list. But one of them, how about menstrual cramps? That's just simply uterine contractions. It's a muscle contracting to the point of causing pain. And lots of people get benefit from using the magnesium gel or even taking the Epsom salt bath uh, with their menstrual cramps. Now, if you would think about it, though, that's a sign already that your body is low in magnesium. And so if, you're, if that's an issue for you and you, you get that on a regular basis, you would want to think, maybe I need to focus on increasing my total body magnesium and not just only treating it just only symptomatically. And then how about calf cramps or foot cramps? There's That's another muscle that just needs to relax. Um, it's the same thing as the menstrual cramps, though. You could put the magnesium gel just on your foot or just on your calf And here at the studio, this is actually a super common occurrence because when people are in the exercise classes, there's just a real common thing happening with people's feet cramping up, calves or sometimes thigh or hamstring muscles cramping up. And then they get out the magnesium gel and they'll say, oh yeah, I've been just putting this on my calf or just on my foot. And then they do get relief. But that's a sign that the total body magnesium is low. And it's it's kind of just common sense to think that. It's just a... Um, a reasonable way to think that if you have plenty of magnesium there in the first place, then you're probably not going to be getting the cramping that happens. And Magnesium can also help reverse or prevent spasms of the blood vessels of your heart. And so one thing, if, if anybody has experienced a heart attack or has, has gone in with someone else who's having a heart attack, one of the first things they're going to get is IV magnesium. So this is actually used in, in the medical world and it's very, very, it's a very, very powerful muscle relaxant. It's also used for women who are in preterm labor. So if you don't want to uh, have the baby born too soon, they go in and they actually get IV magnesium for that. So it would be better if we just started to think before we have preterm labor or before we're having heart attacks about replacing magnesium in our bodies. Another one would be high blood pressure often caused by arteries that are just too tight and cramped up needing to relax. And that's what I was just mentioning before about the calcium channel blockers. That's a popular blood pressure medication. It's just blocking the calcium channels, which contract the arteries. And so what you might want to think of if you have trouble with blood pressure is you ask yourself, have I maximized my magnesium in my body? And I would highly suggest taking that as a first step rather than something that's going to be a last step. And then as for emotional tension, we learned on the last radio show how magnesium helps your body to make GABA, the calming neurotransmitter in your brain, and move you away from producing the glutamate, which is the excitatory neurotransmitter that produces that anxiety and insomnia feeling for people. Now, if you listened last week, you learned that we are all magnesium deficient and you learned why. And so with that, we can move forward and address what we'll do about that. And Before we get to that, one thing I would like to mention, something special that we've started doing here in the studio, but it really can involve anybody who's not even here at the studio. We started monthly health challenges, and for the month of March, we launched a challenge on the healthy coffee. So people that already drink coffee and tea, we challenge people, how about for at least one month, why don't you substitute some of your coffee and tea with some healthy coffee and tea. And that would be the Ganoderma coffee that we had talked about on a different show with Dr. Bob Burkowski. And when you start to substitute that, start to tell us about and notice how your health starts to improve with it. And why I'm mentioning this today is because for April, our challenge is going to be for Magnesium. And we would challenge people to start replacing and improving their stores of magnesium in numerous different ways. So that's coming up in April. We just wanted to give you a heads up about that. And anybody can take part in that. If you go to the website, the the website mytimeoutstudio.com, that will explain the healthy challenges that we're having. And you can take part in those. So how would you start to improve your magnesium status? Well, the first thing that we would recommend is to stop eating foods that deplete your magnesium. And those would be sugar, processed foods, and the oxidized and damaged fats that we talked about earlier. Those would be the vegetable oils like corn. And soybean oil is found in almost everything. So I'm just going to... Uh, put that one in bold and highlight soybean oil especially corn oil is also another huge biggie margarine i don't know if anyone eats that anymore but if you do that would be time to get rid of that and same with crisco and we suggest avoiding corn fed and factory farm beef at all costs and chickens that are fed gmo corn and soy so Just by stopping eating those kinds of foods, those are all foods that deplete magnesium. That'll already help you right away. Now, another magnesium depleter is fluoride. And if you're getting fluoride in your water from any other source, that fluoride binds to magnesium and it takes it out of your body. So I would suggest doing what you can to um, eliminate or reduce your exposure to fluoride. Now, turning our attention to what you would actually want to be eating. We talked about what not to eat. What would you actually eat? Choose high-quality oils and fats. So choose some organic olive oil, organic coconut oil, palm oil. Now, how about this one, cocoa butter? That's mm. the, that's the fat from from cocoa beans. So if, if you've ever gotten that and smell it, it smells like chocolate. And what we do with cocoa butter here is we melt it down, we add some dynamic greens to it, and we add a couple of drops of stevia, and then it's all melted, right? And then you pour it into these little molds. We've got some heart molds and various shape molds that you can get get online or at a craft store. And then pop those out, and those are your little chocolates to eat. So how about that? Healthy fat and dynamic greens, and they do actually taste really, really good. However, a big company right now that that uh, brings the cocoa butter into the country has been out of it for a while. So we're just waiting for them to get back in stock so we can get back into making those special chocolates. And another great quality fat would be butter that's from pasture cows. So when you're shopping for butter, be sure that you look for something that says either grass-fed or it says pasture on it. And that just means that it's butter from cows that were eating 100% grass and not the corn. So you wouldn't be getting the GMOs in there and you won't be getting the poor quality um, fats and the inflammatory fats choose um, other oils too you can go ahead and use small amounts of sesame oil almond or hazelnut oils but be sure you buy those in kind of the small quantities and good quality ones always come in small quantities keep those in the refrigerator and once you open it use it up quickly and check the expiration date If you leave it out or you don't use it up quick, um, it will actually get rancid before that expiration date. So be sure you smell those oils before you use them. And if they smell rancid, for sure, get rid of it. Toss it out. Now, switching to high-quality oils, it goes a long way to avoiding those oxidized fat, which then lead to oxidized cholesterol in your body. Um, In eating these types of fats, it doesn't lead to depletion of magnesium in your body. Now, to get even more magnesium in your diet, be sure that you're eating your 12 servings of vegetables. So a serving would be counted as a half a cup. If anybody is feeling overwhelmed with 12 servings of vegetables, just picture something like spinach and ask yourself if you'd ever eat a half a cup of raw spinach. And I'm, I'm guessing the answer is no. And when most people eat spinach, it might be three or four cups or even more. So that's already eight servings. So we think that it's entirely doable to get the 12 servings of vegetables, which are going to be higher in magnesium. And be sure that you choose organic. The organic ones are going to have more minerals that are incorporated into the vegetables. Now, raw nuts and grains are also sources of magnesium, but... You must soak and sprout those to get the benefit. Otherwise, if you're eating raw nuts and grains or roasted nuts, those actually deplete magnesium in your body rather than add to it. And you would wonder why that would be. They, the raw foods, the raw grains and the raw nuts contain something called phytic acid, which is considered an anti-nutrient. And that means if you put those in your mouth and chew them up and they land in your stomach, that that phytic acid comes out and it prevents you from absorbing the nutrition, especially the minerals and the magnesium and the vitamins from the nuts and the grains. So you're going to need to soak those and sprout those before you eat them. And that was discussed in the last week's radio show. So that one for sure you want to go back and listen to if you haven't already. In that same category is going to be raw spinach and chard. Now, it's a different mechanism. Those contain something called oxalic acid. And the oxalic acid can deplete magnesium. But I'm not going to suggest that you stop eating spinach or stop eating chard. But if you're eating loads of it every day, like say that you're eating maybe like 8 to 12 ounces of it, or 12 to 20 cups of it, or if you're juicing large quantities of that, you could consider that that's going to be a magnesium depleter for you. If you eat cooked spinach, that does not have the same effect. So go ahead and cook some of those foods. Eat them cooked, but for sure, continue to eat some of the foods raw. There's so many benefits to eating the foods raw as well. You just have to be aware of eating large amounts of those. Now, this is a great start, but even with all that we've talked about eating these magnesium-rich foods, you'll not be able to get enough magnesium from your diet. And as long as we live in a world with so much stress, sugar, processed food, toxins, and poor soil, we're going to need a supplement with magnesium. And so before, before we even mention any uh, anything about magnesium supplementation, everybody needs to understand that if you have a kidney condition where you cannot effectively eliminate magnesium, you would not ever want to take additional magnesium supplements without checking with your kidney doctors first. So um, for the rest of us, we are going to need to supplement with magnesium. And we really went into that a lot in the last segment in in the last show. So again, I'm going to recommend you go back and listen to that one. But part of it that I'm going to just review here is if you're going to take the oral supplements, uh, we really recommend most people take take the magnesium transdermally. That would mean the magnesium gel or the magnesium oil. And Take the epsom salts or the magnesium sulfate baths. That's going to be highly beneficial and faster in replacing your magnesium. And a lot of that will be involved in the magnesium challenge that we start in April. So you can read on the website more about that and how to, how to do that. Um, but if you're going to be choosing to take magnesium oral supplements like the capsules or tablets, you want to really look at the bottle because there's nothing you're going to go and buy at the store that just says magnesium. It's always going to have this other word on it. And what I would recommend not getting is something that says magnesium oxide or magnesium citrate. And those are fine magnesiums. However, they're not absorbed real well, but they're, they're great if you have constipation. Uh, so so go ahead and get those if you have constipation, but you're just going to really be pooping that magnesium right out. And instead, you would look for something that's called magnesium glycinate or magnesium malate. And I think I'm just going to leave it there, and we're going to pick up our discussion on magnesium and some of the other health issues, such as more on heart disease
2: and headaches, uh, next week. Absolutely. Be sure to visit the blog at MyBodyBalanceNutrition.com or join our Facebook community to get useful updates and all the information on healthy nutrition topics. I'm Lucy along with Jeannie and that's our show. Bye everyone.
1: again for tuning in this week. Join Jeannie, Lucy, and Madeline for another edition of Body Balance Talk next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, listen to yourself and make it a healthy life ahead.